our first ever Ask Us Anything episode of the weekly call. We're super happy with how this went. We have some amazing listeners that submitted great questions, and there was a wide variety of questions that got answered by all three of us. And I know there's a lot of value here to be had for all the listeners of this episode, because I know that regardless of whether or not you yourself are in business, own a business, or have anything to do with business, there's just a lot of A, personal questions, and even the, even if the questions were about business, they can easily, easily been, be related to personal life occurrences and were answered in a way according to that. So super happy with how this went, and we can't wait to hear what you guys get out of this. Do not be shy to message us personally on the Weekly Call Pod Instagram account to let us know what you got out of this episode. So sit back, relax, and strap in for the first ever Ask Us Anything episode of the Weekly Call. Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Call, the unscripted, unedited weekly conversation between Austin, John, and Amber. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Let's get started. All right. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the weekly call. Uh, we got our AUA ask us anything coming up this week. Uh, so this episode is going to be entirely dedicated to answering all of our listeners questions, which is really exciting. So Amber, how are you doing out in Toronto? Dude, doing pretty good. It was a nice sunny day and then it started raining, but the sun was still out. So pretty cool. One of those. Yeah. Uh, pretty John, cool how are you out in Kelowna? Doing fantastic. Spent the day with Trisha. Went for a very long bike ride, tandem style. So we had a two-person. Wow, the tandem bike. And uh, played some pickleball. That's a power move. Damn, you're so white. Power move. (laughs) (laughs) Fairly white move, and especially that you followed it up with playing something called pickleball, which uh, I can only imagine. I, I well, what is that? I I can't even imagine what that it's, is. It's like a mix between badminton and tennis. So possibly the whitest sport. Tennis and badminton are both okay, pretty white. So, so. <laughs> so how is it a mix between tennis and badminton? What are the what? I'm very curious for this for some reason. <laughs> Maybe it's because it speaks to my level of whiteness as well. Uh, what is this though? Like, how does it? What do you play with as the as the object? Kind of like well, I, I shouldn't say it's, it's 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 okay. I shouldn't. I mean, it's it's more like ping. It's it's like tennis on a smaller court, but then it, there's like there's yeah, it's like tennis on a smaller court. There's some really niche rules about. It. I don't want to really kind of get into the fair enough. Okay. of oh, okay. wall, though. <laughs> yeah, it's a secret sport. Yeah, cool. Well, um, the the way we're gonna do this AUA is we're gonna be. I, Austin, I'm going to be reading the questions and some of them are general for all three of us to answer and maybe we can answer them together mutually. Um, and maybe the other questions we can, um, like there's some questions that are directed to one individual in particular. So I'm just going to read through and each one's kind of unique and they're all pretty long and they do admittedly uh, more frequently take the stance of, um, you know, there's a lot of student works franchisees that listen to this podcast. And so I think a lot of our questions are coming from that demographic and we'll be able to answer them in a way that is more general for all listeners, because a lot of the things that operators and franchisees ask are, 
you know, if it comes down to mindset or perspective or strategy at running their business, a lot of that can actually be taken home from our listeners as well in terms of implementing those in your personal life. So we'll try to make it as general as possible when we are answering questions and and also being able to, you know, actually answer the questions themselves. So um, firstly, we're going to, uh, we, we had a, I believe a former operator mentioned, uh, message us. Uh, so Larson Lorenz and he, um, so, so he essentially just messages this. I'll, I'll just read it off. So, Hey guys, I loved last week's two hour special. Amherst friendship dilemma sounds almost identical to mine and it was refreshing to hear everyone's thoughts on it. Anyways, I graduated this year and thanks to my experience with student works had no shortage of job offers while my friends, uh, while friends of mine in the same field struggled to find or even land minimum wage jobs in our market. Uh, during the during the market shutdown, uh, I eventually landed my dream job in, fi- in a financial advising position. I will run my own practice, find my own clients, make my own recommendations, and eventually end up, my, up in my own office. What I'm finding is that it's a field full of 50 to 60 year olds who are fat and happy, and I don't have the same DM and peer relationships that make us push ourselves, hold us accountable, and give us the exponential growth we see at StudentWorks. While Amber doing consulting, Austin in a new DM role. Uh, district manager role and John continuing to grow his business like crazy. You're obviously all uh, you're all obviously in different situations, but I'd love to know how each of you think I could use these gaps to adjust to life after student works. So this is a great question, I think, because this is the thing I actually fear the most about the day that I do leave this company is because, um, or this, this, I shouldn't say company really, it's more of a, a, just a cohesive group of people that are all trying to mutually accomplish the same thing. So I think it's a great question because I think every operator that leaves student works, if it's for a reason for another career opportunity, they undervalue this variable. It's like the camaraderie and the, uh, friendly competition that also ultimately puts fire, fire under your ass every day. Right. So what do you guys think? I'll field it first to Amr. Like, you know, you're first in this field to, to kind of out of the three of us to really branch out on your own. So what are your thoughts here? Oh, man, I think this is an excellent question. And uh, Lars, if you're listening to this and anybody else who's resonating to this, man, it really does not matter what field these people are. So just because all of a sudden you're a financial advisor and you get these 50 and 60 year olds roaming around, it just stop looking at them like financial advisors. Okay or investment advisors or whatever, just start measuring with like, start measuring them for their characteristics and for who they are as a human being, not just by their job title. So I have seven people that hold me accountable every week. And they all range from all sorts of people. So John Nostin are two of those. There's five others. Uh, One of them um, runs a way smaller painting business and a consulting business out in BC. I have another one who's running an Airbnb coaching business, um, somebody else who's running a window cleaning business, but it's the characters and it's the people behind those machines, organizations, goals, and dreams that hold me accountable and have me become a better person. So I know nothing about Airbnb and how it's hosted. But when I'm on the, you know, on a conversation, having a conversation with James, conversations like how how much did you exercise today and it's like oh okay well all successful people across the board stay healthy and i'll be like oh i didn't i didn't really exercise much he's like okay let's you know let's hold each other accountable to do that or what new thought did you learn from a new book and it's like oh actually yeah i can answer this okay so 
There are, believe it or not, groups, and I'm sure you've heard the term, and I'm going to define it. There's a, there's a word called like a mastermind. A mastermind group is exactly that. You have it's one, what StudentWorks really tries to offer too, right? And to their to their franchisees, yeah. Totally, but it's a bit different because it's a franchise and there's like money being thrown around between other people. Whereas like if it's between me, you know, you and John, like mm, we're not really right. Like there's no money being exchanged around us, right? So what a mastermind group is, you have one person from different from a different field and they all come together in a group. So, you know, you can have like a barber, you can have a a librarian. But what makes it special is all these people are driven to be successful. And they all have a drive for a better life. And so you can try look for, there's some mastermind groups that cost $100,000 a year to be a part of. Like the Tony Robbins Diamond Mastermind Group costs $100,000 a year. There's other mastermind groups, the one I'm in, costs me 150 bucks a month, right? So I would look out for other people in student works who have graduated, other people that you respect who are in mastermind groups. Heck, message Chris, message Pat, message everybody you admire and ask them, are you in a mastermind group? If so, what does it take to be a part of it? And then from there, you'll find new friends, new connections, and new accountability buddies. And that's how I was able to stay, um, you know, uh, keep myself accountable even though I'm outside that, of the loop. And I think honestly, mate, he might even be able to message you. Like you might even be able to put him in the point him in the right direction too. Right. I'm uh, more than happy to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So John, what do you, th- what are your thoughts here? Well, I guess like the question is, so he's, he's basically, he's gotten out of student works. He's, he's in, let's say the real world in quotations and uh, he's, he's in this new financial advisor role and he's just having trouble staying motivated. Is that what that is? Well, it's essentially missing out on the, if I understand the question correctly, it's pretty much just missing out on the, um, the dynamics of what it really means to be operating in a culture that has the desire for, you know, just like unanimous success and development, right? So I, I really do think, and I've made this comment to Chris, like the, the, the head coach of the East division, like many times is I was like, how much money I had this joke with Chris is like, how much money do you think that leaderboards makes you guys every year? Meaning just by virtue of having the leaderboard, there's like a, there's like a natural source of competition because the, the, the coolest thing with this particular situation is me doing really well in Chelsea, Quebec has no impact on an operator in St. John's, Newfoundland. So we can both absolutely kill it. We're not taking any business away from one another and we can just learn on each other, you know, from each other's mistakes, from each other's success. And just that, I don't know if you've experienced that at West John, but that's really what I would say maybe the top five to 15 operators every year kind of just have that level of connection. So uh, I would think that if I ever, you know, the day that I do leave, I think I will definitely miss that. I know that'll be a thing. Uh, and I think Larson's just asking, you know, how to deal with that now that he's aware that that's a variable for him. Yeah, I think I would just piggyback what Amher said, and that would be to, you know, recreate that atmosphere, right? Recreate um, that sense of organization. And I mean, what we're doing right now, right? I mean, the whole goal of this podcast was to encourage other people to have their own weekly calls. 
And so, you know, if I was a new financial advisor, uh, I would try and, you know, link up with other maybe financial advisors like Amher said, you know, get a, get a part of a mastermind group, get a part of other people who are young and, or not even young, but just people who are wanting to get after it, right? And I would surround myself with those people. Um, I'd also focus on the, you know, um, the first principle. I would focus just on my habits, right? I think that, uh, you know, make sure you're still doing your meditation, make sure you're doing your reading, make sure you're doing your exercising, making sure that you're doing all the things that made you successful while you were in student works, right? Um, you know, just when you get out of student works, still follow those same principles, follow those same systems, right? of uh, constantly filling your funnel of sales leads. In this case, he's a financial advisor. So making sure, you know, you're getting in front of people who have money who need to invest, right? And, uh, you know, make sure you have proper follow-up systems, et cetera. Um, so I, I don't have much else to add other than just what Amher said, basically. Just, you know, recreate that same atmosphere. Yeah, and, and honestly, John, you kind of took the answer to my mouth is I was going to take this in the way that said, you know, really just, I would start with creating your own weekly call as, as, as cliche as that may sound, uh, not, not a marketing plug at all. Actually just trying to be, uh, giving some authentic advice here is find at least if you spent, I believe this strongly believe this, if you spent two to three hours actually working towards finding other first time entrants in your age group into the financial advising market, in the area that you live, you will find at least four or five other people in that position. Contact them all and ask them to, if they're either interested in creating a group weekly call where you touch base and see what kind of adversity you're experiencing unique to your position versus what's really easy because of your situation and how to strategize based off of that and sharing what you've each learned from maybe you have all different sorts of positions too. So being able to kind of expedite your learning path in that, in that position, as well as making sure that you always have this level of accountability with people, right? You make sure, I think the, my, my favorite thing about my, you know, the, the original weekly call that we had between the three of us guys was like every week at the end of the call, we'd make sure that we always listed off our goal, what we wanted to do for the next week. And the first thing we all asked each other on the following phone call was, Hey, did you hit that? You know, like Amber, I know last time we spoke on Sunday, you were talking about doing a 60 K payroll, how'd it go? And you'd either say, yo, you know, we ended up doing 57 and we talk about, you know, what really went well, what didn't go well. And I think the best thing about that is if you ever did come up a bit short, you knew that you had other people in your life to go, you know what, Amber, that's totally good. Like that was good enough. That's pretty solid. You knew coming into that phone call that, John and I were not going to let you just be like, yeah, man, like that was pretty sick. Like you still did 57, even though you want to do 60. Like, no, we were going to pick you apart for what the difference of that 3k was for 20 minutes. And that's what you liked about it. So building that level of standard about what you want out of the people in your weekly call is really, really important too. I think that this goes for really anything, you know, Larson was, you know, had the initiative to ask the question, but I think a lot of people that are even listening to this episode, you know, they have something that they're trying to create in their life, whether it's like a, a business on the side or even a relationship or even just doing better in your, at your job, surrounding yourself with people that are a like-minded and B will hold you accountable no matter what, right? Like Amber could have got on there and said, oh, you know, I did 57 K instead of 60 because you know, my brother, I had to take my brother to the hospital. It's like, you know, great. Well, is that really going to be something that you let get in the way of creating value for your employees and your clients, right? Like that's what you're supposed to have, you know? So we have a structure, 
that was a pretty cutthroat example, but I, we, 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 we don't, we've been assigned to that role. It was very clear from the beginning that nothing slips through the cracks. We're not here to validate each other. We're here to critique each other and we're here to make sure we get each other better. So go and find, you know, four, five, six, seven other people who want that and create a cohesive team call every week. I think that would be your solution along with mastermind groups, which I think can be very helpful. However, when you start, in my opinion, I think maybe now that I've had, you know, a weekly call with you guys for a year, even before doing this, I would maybe be more better off going and paying to join a mastermind group because I think they'd actually be worth my money then. If I didn't have the experience of what it's like to be in a group dynamic like this on a weekly basis, and I had to go pay $150 a month, it might not be yet. I might not be getting as much value as I could out of it because I think in a mastermind group, it can get a little bit confused with seeking validation too. And I just wanted to make sure that that doesn't get confused. Did you guys have any other comments on that before we move on? No, just uh, to, to actually point them to some places. So uh, Royal Bank, Dominion Securities, CIBC, Wood Gundy, uh, Scotia McLeod, TD Waterhouse, BMO Nesmit Burns. Use those names and filters in LinkedIn and sort by age and go look for people who recently joined that position and just hit them with a DM. Hey man, I'm hungry. You want to make a mastermind? And you can go from there. Amazing. Um, so next we're going to move on to uh, another question here from somebody else that is in a, um, a position with student work. So I'm just going to start by reading the question. So, Hey guys, I know I'm cutting it close to getting questions, but I just finished last week's episode. I'm in, uh, I'm making a shift inside of student works in the next year. So my questions mostly have to do with SWP because of how early we are in the summer. Can I please stay anonymous? Yes, you can. <laughs> uh, so for John in particular, this question's for you. And then there's also a part two for Austin. So uh, part one for John, in the early episodes, you expressed a pretty clear disinterest in DMing. Despite recent, despite recent conversations with Austin, talking about how his role has improved his business, I feel as if your opinion has not changed. Someone with a background like yours would bring an insane level of value to franchisees, especially with your open desire to bring value to those around you. My question for you is, besides the lack of control over your income, and therefore your livelihood, where does this disinterest stem from? John's thinking if nobody can, I guess. Yeah, sorry, I'm just just putting some thought into this. (laughs) Yeah. John, maybe I'll give you a moment to think. I'll just read part two for me. Sure. Okay. So second part is for Austin. I loved the episode with Pat. It was fascinating hearing him talk about what he did for you to mold you into the franchisee and DM you are today. I'm referencing the challenges he would give you and standards he would set. My DM my first year used very similar tactics with me and that, that I attribute to my current success. My question for you is, now that we are in production, how have you chosen which franchisees to push in this way? Also, how have you dealt with franchisees under you who did not have the drive you had hoped? I understand this question risks you exposing certain franchisees. For that reason, I'm completely okay with you if you wish not to answer. To rephrase in a potentially safer way, how would you recommend a current and futures DM's best cope with 
under best hope with underperforming uh, franchisees. So yeah, I'll, I'll answer that question after John answers his. Well, I mean, one of the main reasons why I, I just don't want to be a DM is mainly because I just think that the monetary compensation is just not adequate, which I know that in the question it says other than that. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> other than the money side of it, um, I just don't consider that to be my strong suit. I don't consider it to be my strong suit um, leading people. I would say that my strong suits uh, are, are sales and marketing. I'm really good at getting myself. Uh, I'm really good at generating leads and I'm very good at, at, uh, at turning those into, into estimates and closing those deals. As far as actually leading people, I would say that, yeah, I would say that I'm not the strongest leader, which would be interesting because, you know, one of the arguments for, you know, why you would become a DM is because that would, it would really round out my roster there. It would really strengthen my leadership. And it's definitely something I would consider in the future, but at least for now, I know that it says other than the monetary side, um, you know, the amount of money that I can make over the next, you know, even just four years, I mean, I could potentially make a million dollars, you know, rather like easily over the next three to four years. Um, and that security is, is worth something to me. So to, to, to risk that, Especially going, it's you know like I mean? messing with the formula kind of thing. Um, yeah, I just feel like I will one, I, but another thing to, to consider too, which I know is going to be kind of hard for some people to understand is that I also just understand how much I've left on the table as a franchisee. And I understand how much more growth I have as a franchisee. You know, it seems like a lot of people are viewing it as, Oh, like John's accomplished what there is to accomplish as a, as a franchisee. Therefore he should go into DMing. I feel like I have so much more to accomplish as a, um, not only as a student works franchisee, but moving on to a pro works franchisee, um, and I just feel like I'm not quite ready for that yet. Mm -hmm. so I guess that's maybe a simple answer, but yeah. Okay. Um, By the way, when John said easy to make a million, he probably meant, uh, can you actually clarify that word easy? Do you mean predictable? Like a predictable way to, to generate a million dollars in the next Yeah. Year? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like when I said, not yeah, easy. I define easy. Okay. Good. Um, when I say rather, I said rather easily, but uh, when I say rather easily, I just, I understand the mechanics of how I would do that. Okay. okay and I feel, understand. and I feel very confident in my ability to go out and execute on that. So that's what right. exactly what I meant by rather. Gotcha. Easily. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and just to confirm the question for people that may not know exactly like DMing really just is an abbreviation for district managing and a district manager in the context of this conversation really just means, you know, each independent franchisee has somebody that helps them, coaches them, you know, pretty much shows them everything they need to do in order to run a very successful and profitable business. And that person is someone that, you know, a lot of people refer to as a coach or a consultant, or mm. uh, it's just somebody that really is out to help you achieve everything you want to achieve. And so what the structure usually is in terms of how people go through this company is, you know, you, you would get recruited as an operator to, to run a, a franchise, either through applying yourself or recruiting you through a university. And then after a few years of, you know, literally running all sides of your business, right? Hiring the right people, selling, marketing the service, producing all the work, dealing with all your clients. After you've like semi mastered that program, there's an option for you to apply in terms of 
becoming a DM, helping other people do the same thing, right? And so there's a few different options to how you do this. There's like a full-time DM that doesn't run a business and just consults for people. And then there's also a mini district manager that you can uh, maintain your personal business. Like this is what I'm doing. So I currently run my own business that I've been doing for three years. And I also coach for other people on running their business. So it's a bit of a hybrid role, I guess you could say. So when we, when we say the word DM, we just mean coach. So just to clear that up. Um, and so the question for me, uh, you know, I'll just kind of regurgitate it a little bit in terms that are less specific to a specific conversation that this person's referencing. So uh, he's asking whether or not, um, so the, the episode he's referring to with, with Pat and I, so Pat is my current district manager and has been for the past two, three years. And uh, during the episode with Pat, I think it's a while, not a while back, uh, maybe two months or so, uh, we had a great conversation with the four of us, right? And, you know, I asked Pat a question that really meant a lot to me because as a rookie, as a first time business owner at 20 years old, he, he said that he saw something that he wanted to hold to a really high level. And so he knew that I was a previous painter. I had painting experience and I was doing pretty well out of the gate. So he decided to hold me to standards that were actually pretty absurd in terms of what a rookie first-time business owner would accomplish. However, he knew that I would be somewhat negligent towards how absurd those standards were and therefore just want to please him and please myself with accomplishing those standards every week. And it wasn't until the end of the year that I looked back and said, holy shit, right? Like I, you know, painted over 57 houses and, uh, and did $157,000 in revenue and had seven full-time employees. And I thought none of that was, I thought maybe half of that was possible in January, you know, and now we're in September and I just blew my, my my original goal was 90,000 and I just did much more than I would have liked to. My goal was like to just hit Mexico and the Mexico trip. So, you know, I asked Pat at the end of the year, I was like, dude, what? And so well, I asked him on the podcast really, is I said, what made you see that? And how did you know to do that? And that's kind of what this person's asking us is it sounds like they're considering moving into a district manager role and they want to know how do you identify the people that would do well with that? And how do you identify the people that wouldn't do well with that? And how do you just accept people that perform at a level that you yourself don't? And this, my friend, is an amazing, amazing question. And I, 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 if I'm going to be really with, real with you, it really, this is the one thing I struggle with. Um, and, and I would consider myself to be a pretty, uh, I'm not an egotist. I, I, I'm not narcissist, narcissistic. I don't really, I would consider myself a fairly humble, humble person. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm objectively speaking, my business has done well in the past three years, but I, you know, I know a, a ton of people that has, have let it get to their head and, and I don't think it really does them any justice or does them any good. So it's very frustrating for me to deal with people who aren't just going to do what they say, right? Like when I was working with Pat, um, he would just say, you know, we'd set targets on Monday, Monday morning, we'd have our max meeting and it would be like, you know, let's go, let's go bring in that 35 K payroll. Little did I know that would have set an all time rookie record for a payroll, but he didn't tell me that because he knew that if he gave me like 
well, Austin, this week's the week. We're going to go break that record. It would be something that's like more far-fetched and I wouldn't work as hard to meet that standard because it was set as almost like a, a special standard, one that's like novel in, in our company and like it would be really, really hard, right? He just said, yo, like I'm looking at your, you know, your cover sheet. I'm looking at what your production capacity is. You're totally able to go do a 35K payroll. Let's go do it, right? And here's what you need to do on a daily basis. Here's what you need to do on a, here's what you need to get done by Wednesday and all that stuff. So, um, when I hit it and he was like, Holy crap, you know, like, you know, you, you, Austin, you did a $29,000 payroll. And I was like, oh, yeah, but that's dude, that's nowhere close to the record. And, or that, sorry, I was like, that's nowhere close to 35. And he was like, yeah, but the record was 33. <laughs> so and like, he'd tell me that stuff. And so he'd get me to do things that were very high performing because of how he set standards. And it's very, it is admittedly frustrating to work with people who don't have that same level of motivation maybe or 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 structure around how they want to hit those standards or goals so if you're asking me the question how do i identify those people it's actually quite simple the people that there's so i would say that there's two things people that challenge you the most are people that are usually going to be very very high performing because they don't just take what you say for granted so for example, imagine this being a conversation between a consultant and an operator, right? Hey, I'm experiencing this problem with a client. What do you think I should do? And the district manager, the consultant goes, here's what you should do, blah, 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 blah. And they go, okay, thank you. Goodbye. That's not the conversation that usually happens between a top performer and a consultant, right? Usually people that I'm finding do seemingly a lot better right now. And now that we're halfway, almost halfway through the summer is people that go, wait, but what about this? And did you actually say it this way? Or how did you use your tone? Or I don't actually think that's a good way to handle it. How would you handle it if you think the client was this way? The people that challenge your, your, your way of thinking actually can end up doing a lot better. And then the other thing is um, if on a weekly basis, looking at you know, coming out of their max meetings from the first six weeks of running their business, how many times does an operator do exactly what they say? Right? So if you have a client or if you have a, an operator coming into your weekly meetings and they just hit your, hit their action item list every single time without fail to 100% correctness, you know, you, you're not doing everything you can as a coach because no coach has a team that like, if you ask any high performing coach, and I think the best possible example is actually from um, the recent documentary that's gone, you know, kind of viral, which is uh, uh, the last dance with Michael Jordan. Have you guys seen it? No, not yet. Okay. I'm surprised you haven't seen it. Well, I, I can't, I can't watch TV, bro. So it's true. It's you. true. Actually, it's good. Books. Yeah. You're going to relapse. Yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've just been reading books, man. <laughs> The head coach of the Chicago Bulls uh, was was like this, right? He had a a team, and do not get me wrong, I'm not comparing myself to that man, but he had a team that was the best on earth, and he, you know, they showed up and won championship after championship, and ultimately the the documentary shows that they overcame a lot of adversity every year. But you know, that coach not one time went, oh wow, you know, my team won another suit, my team won another championship. I'm, you know summer's off like we're good to go like no michael jordan and the coach and and most of the players were back in that gym and the you know as first as they could the earliest point they could in the summer and so ask yourself as a coach when you're coaching these people you should almost be tailoring what you're offering them and and you should be pushing the operator to the level where they everybody's coming to the meeting 
with like two or three things incomplete because that means that you're putting them right to their pressure point, right? Like if they're coming to a meeting with everything completed, you actually gave them a week that was too easy. And I think that Pat realized that with me is he, you know, he'd give me a bunch of stuff. I'd do it. He's like, okay, do this. I'd do it. He's like, do this, do it. And he kept re-upping until I couldn't do it. He's like, okay, this is where he's going to operate for the rest of the year. And these are the standards I'm going to hold him accountable to for the rest of the year. And I can maybe move them up as he gets better. But he, I found like he did a really good job at finding where that tipping point was for me. And I have to try to find that tipping point for all the operators that I work with. So, yeah. Did you struggle emotionally with that? Because um, Corey, my consultant, did the same thing, like set very high standards for me. I mean, I, I set high standards for myself as well, but, you know, right. really, really pushed me. It's different when it's for somebody else too. Yeah, yeah. He really, he really pushed me, pushed me, pushed me. Um, you know, like we were, you know, like, like it was a regular occasion for me to be crying or for us to be screaming at one another. You know, there was always a constant fear of like me not getting invited right. back. And in hindsight, you know, like he had this saying, it was like, hate me now, but love me in Mexico. And nice. in hindsight, yeah. you know, it totally fucking worked. Right. I mean, I, I accomplished all these things, but I have to wonder like the emotional toll, because like, I feel like so many people would break under that. Whereas like I thrived in the long run, but have you ever suffered emotionally from that? Cause I feel like there was many times where I was like, Hmm, you know what? I feel like this is maybe harder than it needs to be. Hmm. That's a really good question, John. Uh, uh to be quite honest with you, no, uh, I never felt like Pat held me to a standard that was difficult enough to make me question more emotional things or, or at least bring up emotion. Um, not even just, Pat, I mean, even yourself. Myself with other operators now or other owners? No, like, I mean, like, I'm not even just, oh, just saying me, that my, whether Pat myself holding myself standard. How do you, uh, help? you know, because it's kind of like, yeah, like so an example. my relationship with Pat was mainly him trying to, like, manage my expectations. And, like, because I had extremely, extremely high expectations for myself. And he would almost want to be, like, talking me off the ledge a little bit with how about how I went about doing that because I could literally have had in my first year I could have had a client been like Austin you painted my house perfectly your team was amazing absolutely would hire you again 100% I just noticed that you know sometimes they got a few drops of paint on the floor maybe going forward you know on a more picky client's house they might notice that just to kind of a word of advice to you other than that Austin could have not gone better I would have negatively identified with that whole thing I wouldn't have just been like, oh, thanks, Barb. You know, thanks for that feedback. I, know, I, I really appreciate your kind words and let me, let me learn from that. I, I was almost that person for myself, John, right? So if anything, I was making myself more emotional and Pat had to like recontextualize where that emotion was coming from. Hey, Austin, why do you think you're so goddamn hard on yourself? What do you have to prove this year? And he was really good about uncovering why I was so hard on myself, right? Like, okay, well, why is it important for you to go make X amount of dollars this year? Does that matter that much to you or is it something else? You know, for, for my personal, you know, selfish standpoint, I had worked for another business owner that I thought I could do a lot better than. So I actually had like a more personal goal to go do better than that person to almost prove myself right. And that was, you can call that narrow-minded, you can call it selfish. But I think that that was really my goal in my first year was to like, hey, I did this for a reason to go do better than this person. So let me go do that. And so Pat realized that what my goals were specifically and realigned me to go hit it in a more sustainable way that wasn't as negative or hard on myself. Is that kind of like you you're lacking that reason this year? Um, no. And, and it's really just about 
finding what that really means for me right now, right? And so I, I'm trying to motivate myself a little bit more differently with how I go and achieve that. So for me, my reasons this year for doing really well are I want to buy a house by the end of the year. And I've really written down my goals in a different way that, you know, owning a house before I turn 24, uh, doing so during a global pandemic, uh, you know, increasing actually my goal to, to beat my record from last year this week, because I, I'm, I can do that in, you know, while doing a master's degree, while coaching other people in a global pandemic. These are things that like, I'm almost just trying to prove to myself that I can do. So and, and, and like, you know, hitting those materialistic goals sometimes are actually very motivating to me. Like, I actually want to have my name on deed of a house by the end of the year. That to me, like, you know, mm. actually emotionally means a lot because, you know, I came from, I've discussed this on a podcast couple maybe here, but, uh, you know, I, I came from a situation that like, you know, not similar to John, but in the sense that it was a single parent household. I truly do understand the value of a dollar and watched my mom work up to three jobs to, you know, really support my sister and I to make sure we had everything we needed. So like, I just want to, I, I really, I'm doing everything I can to just stir, steer myself away from that as much as I possibly can. Right. So, and it's not because I don't respect her for what she did just because like, I can see all the negative impacts that that brings to someone's life and, and adversity. So it's like, I kind of, associate all my micro goals on a yearly basis with how to create a life that's completely oppositional from that. So that's kind of how I readjust my, I guess you could say like my why every year. Okay, let's do the next question. Okay, cool. Sorry, I'm a bit slow there. Um, Okay. So next question is a bit of a funny one. Um, so this one's from the, uh, life of an operator Instagram account. Amber, you, uh, oh, you no. follow this. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So there's a, so, so there's actually this joke, John, you wouldn't know this cause you're not on social media. So, um, <laughs> there's this, this a new an- post did i miss this post no 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 it's on a post they just message us so uh, there's this account on instagram that's called the, the 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 instagram handle is just called operator culture and so it's an anonymous operator in the company nobody knows who this operator is it's just like some random person in student works that's made this instagram account that like essentially makes content and more like memes and, and tiktoks about like what it's like to be an operator, but kind of in funny ways. I don't know. Anyway, like how, you know, when you, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but it's, it's pretty funny for anybody that's actually interested in going to check it out. Again, the, uh, the handles operator culture, it's quite hilarious. <laughs> actually the content's hilarious. So, um, whoever does run the account, I don't know who does amazing job. Um, so the, 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 the question's actually a little bit more liberal. So this person uh, says the listeners want to know if the lads have a favorite sex position. Oh my God. Uh... So let's, uh, let, let's, let's go to John first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Their goals are sponsors. I mean, I mean, well, oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like we have to mix this question in. We can't. We have to be authentic here. So, 
You guys ever heard of the tombstone pile driver? So I have this, um, <laughs> I have this buckwheat pillow and I bought this like hundred dollar pillow. Okay. <laughs> and it's, and do you guys know what buckwheat is? No. So buckwheat, um, I don't, I don't even know what the fuck buckwheat is either. Actually, <laughs> it's basically like beans and it's like a pillow that like, Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, oh. It's a pretty thick pillow and it's like, it like perfectly gets like, so if, if someone was to like lay their back on it, yeah, yeah. um, it, it would like raise their back off the, it, off if the somebody were to, yeah, we don't know, but like hypothetically, if <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, go I'm ahead. Sure, sure. And, yeah. and so it like raises trip off the bed by about eight to 12 inches okay perfect and eggs you can kind of think of would be like more like a wheelbarrow position and this just creates a very optimal angle it's a modified missionary it's just an i actually got it from the uh, four hour body by tim ferris oh is he right about that in his book yeah yeah i have it actually right over here yeah no way did he actually write about he wrote about sex positions in his book yeah there's actually another one too where like it's like it's like a very like precise um, like clitoral st- stimulation section. Oh, well. I what didn't book know is this that? was. I didn't know this was the, the four-hour orgasm. What the hell is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I it's like it's like how to like. It's basically like it's actually pretty fascinating too. I, I use a lot of it like as far as precise movements and things like that. I really didn't know that that was something Tim Ferriss covered. To be honest, like I, I've read. Yeah, there's, uh, no, there's actually a, there's, it was actually so funny too because in that, this is a little side tangent. There's um there's like this con- concoction that he like has in this book that like increases your testosterone. And so I, I like did this thing, uh, like this like experiment, and uh, like one of the things <laughs> these Brazil nuts, and it was so funny. Um, uh, like I feel like as a like I'm a pretty fit individual, so I feel like my stamina is already pretty good because of you know because of my like cardio and just for exercise. But but during this this phase. Um, my stamina was just ridiculous <laughs> and, 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 uh, but, it, but, but I mean, this is just, so, this is almost too much information, but basically, um, yeah, basically, uh, I was able to outlast any sort of female portion of it. So it's okay. pretty, it was pretty, it was pretty hilarious. The, these Brazil so nuts. So what do the Brazil nuts actually do then? Like, I, have, I, I, I didn't look like into the science behind it. I just sort of followed the book and it was just hilarious. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so yeah, let's go to Ammer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, my favorite sex position is sit on the side of the bed, pick up uh, the Bible and you read. And that's, that should be it. <laughs> sex is a distraction. You should stay away from it. If you're, <laughs> you're below the age of 18, you shouldn't be talking uh, about it either. It. I don't know I what's going it. on. Just so everyone knows Ammer is withholding sex till marriage, which is in I'm envious of his uh, discipline. Yeah, man. I, I survived uh, high school, university, and uh, yeah. You ever had a female like just like try and like like purposely try and like crack your code? Be like many, <laughs> many yeah, times. Yeah, like you you become the. Um, what, what's I've, the word for this in marketing? It's I feel like, like that's like a strategy. Like it's like a reverse. It is psychology. no, it totally is. It like, totally so it's like, is. Hey, like I've, I've you had, have tea, but like I'm gonna tell you right now, like I'm saving myself till marriage, so I will not have sex with yeah. you. I've had <laughs> well, you know, but women it's way like, out of my league try and go for me aggressively oh, just to be the one to crack me, and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's like um, in consumer behavior, it's kind of gets the idea that like people want what they can't have, right? So it's like. I, I, this is kind of the way I actually choose to market my business too, right? Like saying, Oh, we're almost booked. 
So you should probably book with us. Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 newsflash, we're not almost booked. But uh, the fact that we are is is something that makes people go, "Oh wait, I might not be able to get this." So now I want it. So it's <laughs> similar thing. Yeah, um, and it's like the restaurant is like this. Like, yeah, we're opening next month. <laughs> or they only have like four seats. You know, it's like it's super. It's super prestigious. And like, we're opening next month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, man. I'm actually glad I took this route because honestly, like boys, for being honest here, if that wasn't one of my beliefs, I don't think I'll be half as like successful or, uh, well, or anything. Like, I'll be totally, before. I would be totally distracted. Mike Tyson like, took like five before. years off sex. Yeah. Was it track. five years? Yeah, five oh, yeah, years. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's proven, mm-hmm. man. Like if you withhold, like all the energy just goes somewhere else. So it usually goes to my work and it's... Hmm. That's why we have, I don't know. That's really It works for me. Obviously, I'm always kidding around. You can do whatever you want. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try out that position, actually. That's, uh, that's it, going to be a great. new one. It, yeah. It's all about the, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's all about how you turn the it's pages. It's the one month, one month. This is my one month challenge. Just go one month. Just none of that. Oh, man. Well, like Miranda and I have been uh, together for four years. And uh, we've definitely gone, long, like, we've, the majority of that has been long distance. So we're actually quite used to like, cause we're living in different cities. Right. So, oh, so like the majority, so we've done the Amir challenge already several times of, of one month. We haven't done the Bible reading though. We haven't, we haven't done that. Yeah, but, no, uh, It's great stuff in there. Yeah. Used to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I would say like, for me, it would be actually. Why are we doing this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is ridiculous. We're taking this way too seriously. Yeah. Okay. We're spending more time on the sex question than we are on the. Yeah. Austin's yeah, like, fair. you know, he gets a ladder in the bedroom, <laughs> jumps. A frame. Yeah. Just to okay. like land perfectly. It's like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sex swing. So. <laughs> next question, please. Yeah, next question. Thanks for that. Whoever runs that page. Thanks, guys. Uh, next question is from, uh, uh, from Xander Wells. Uh, who's on the West Coast? I think you might know him, John. No. Oh wow, that's great. You could have even said yes, just to just to be nice, but uh, that's good. So Xander, we I, I know you, man. Uh, <laughs> so hey guys, I've got a question for you uh, for the podcast episode coming up. Uh, so I'm a first year operator in Manitoba, and I'm a few weeks into production now, and there and things are really starting to weigh down on me. I'm having a hard time keeping up with all the aspects of running a business marketing, sales, production, etc. Admittedly, I've questioned whether or not I want to continue with this for the rest of my summer, even though this is something I really want to achieve. My question is, have any of the three of you ever felt like this at any time with student works, uh, with, with student works, more specifically in the beginning? And what were some things that helped you continue on? Advice from others, a perspective shift, anything at all? Cheers, guys. Oh, man, I, I- I can't wait to tackle this. So I am an overtly over anxious person. If I removed all structure from my life, I get anxious about everything. (laughs) Everything. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm similar. I think, I I think, I think all of us are anxious individuals. Yeah. I think without structure, it's a complete mess. So Xander, I invite you to consider that you have failed to compartmentalize your life and your business. What do I mean by that? I feel if I was to ask you, do you use Google and Calendar? What organization softwares do you have? Where do you keep track of things? That your answer might be 
not as accurate as mine would be if you asked me that question. And so stress, I've realized for me, comes from the disorganization of ideas and commitments in my mind. When they're disorganized, I don't know what's happening when and what am I doing and who's pulling who and what am I responsible for, I get stressed. When I put it on my Google Calendar and I know exactly when I have to do this and that and you know, five o'clock is canvassing time, 6.30 is you know, phone call, uh, 8.30 is phone call with this person, uh, 9 a.m. is a phone call with this client because this happened, that eliminates almost everything. And if you've already done that, then there's another piece to this, which is you need to go all in on your business. Like what I mean by that, like your life should be revolved around your business. It's not like, oh, this business is a thing I do on the side and I mostly like to spend time at home and play some video games like I used to do. No, no, it's like business first. That's what you have to feed first. You have to, you know, draw, throw your penny in that fountain before you do anything else. And if you're thinking of it as like a solar system, the whole solar system revolves around the sun. The sun is your business. So it's like, you want to hang out with friends? Let me check my work schedule. Do I have any commitments? Am I canvassing? Is my estimates there? No, 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 no. Great. Yes. Let's hang out. Let's go out to a bar. I've committed. I've completed all my commitments versus, oh, I have to go out canvassing Friday night, but my Friday nights are for my friends. So now I'm stressed out because I'm not seeing my friends. Totally different context. So I invite you to sit down with a piece of paper and, and really go all in on your business and get everything down on a piece of paper. Like every hour, like what are you doing? When are you breathing? Like when are you eating? When are you having entertainment? Like what do you do? That's the only way to have it out. And uh, for me, that eliminated all anxiety and that feeling of being overwhelmed. It's just a lack of organization for me. And I think if you can eliminate that, uh, you'll be ahead of the game. I love that. And uh, John, did you want to add to that? Or I had something I wanted to say, maybe. Yeah, go for it, man. Uh, so kind of in line with what Amr just said, to kind of maybe break that down a bit more, because I completely agree with everything he did say. And Xander, I was also somebody that in my rookie year, uh, I could not fathom doing what I did then again. Not because it didn't go well. It was just because, man, like, did that ever take up my mind space or my head space, I guess you, you can say. Um, you know, and the reality is, I don't think that I got much better at that in my second year, and I still struggle with it a little bit, is the level in which I'm organized to give people what they need to succeed every single day. And I think that it, what really helps me understand the impact of that behavior and unpreparedness and lack of structure that had that I had the impact of that and what that is on my employees and my clients is understanding your problem that you're describing from a retroactive standpoint versus a proactive standpoint. And so I'll kind of explain what that means. So I truly believe that the problem that you're having is not because nobody else has this problem. It's not novel. If you ask any other business owner, even outside of StudentWorks, is it easy to compartmentalize your business and your thoughts into doing everything you need to do in a given day to be operating at 100% efficiency and, and, and earning as much profit as possible? The answer to that is 
always know. It's not something that's easy. I just think the people that do really good at it look at their problems from a proactive perspective as opposed to a retroactive perspective. So what it means to be looking at your problems from a retroactive perspective psychologically is it almost feels like you lost control of your business in a sense, because after a while, after you've experienced, you know, painters going over budget, not making good money on a job, or even having your clients be upset with you. After that happens, you know, three or four times each, you essentially train yourself to just roll with the punches and get through the day, right? Okay, well, I'm just going to go start the crew. They'll call me about something. I'll go back and help them or, or, you know, like you essentially end up approaching every day with a diminished ability to be proactive in solving your problems. You end up just spending your time in a day based on the hurdles and punches that are thrown at you. And that's what's called a retroactive perspective. And you can very easily give yourself the illusion that you're not enjoying your summer because you're essentially being controlled by the random variables at play for everybody, right? But did John and I still have those things happen? 100%, right? Like I recently had a project that um, the client was probably just the worst person on earth. And it was just not some somebody that was at all reasonable to deal with. Um, and it was just something that, you know, both of us just wanted to get out of the situation. But because I know that that is something that is very likely to happen as a business owner offering a service, uh, I just am able to deal with that from a more proactive perspective. So instead of just like letting myself get tied up in that, going and solving the problem myself, I look at my team, I look at the resources at play and I go, how can I solve this problem proactively? Instead of like letting it take over my time for four or five hours going and doing the work myself, arguing with the client, defending the client. Like John said, is like, you know, a lot of the time when the client makes a statement, like the example, there's actually another question we're going to cover about this, John, because the decision you made to like redo an entire project at one point. Um, having a retroactive perspective on your problems, essentially just you still solve them, whether it's retroactive or proactive. However, in retroactive, you just deal with it and solve it yourself. And then you just get more tired and, and just upset with it because you had to go solve it. It was, a, it was a negative experience and you just don't want to ever have to do that again. Take a step back, look at what the likelihood is of your business for the rest of the summer. You're a first time business owner. You can't be older than 23, right? I doubt you are. Your, your, your photo looks like you're relatively young. You're owning a business for the first time in your life, right? Wouldn't you say it's fair to say that like it's at one point in the summer, you're going to feel extremely overwhelmed and extremely overworked and extremely just tired and upset with where you are. I'd say that's almost a guarantee. I think that's something that we probably all experienced the three of us, right? At one point or another. So look at that and go, is that likely to happen? Yes. Okay. Well then choose to have a proactive point of view on it you know, these things are going to come and happen to you, right? You know, your painters are essentially at one point in the summer, not going to hit a budget. You know that they, that there's a strong likelihood that a client will not be happy with you on a given basis. You know, that there's a strong likelihood that you will mess up an order at the paint store or something. You know, that all of those things are actually quite likely. So just look at them and go, Hmm, I wonder where that is. Cause I have a 97% customer satisfaction rate. So every year I get to look through my client list and go, there's going to be two or three of you that aren't happy with me. I just don't know which ones yet. You know, like I just accept that that's a possibility. And because I know it's coming, it seemingly makes the problem so much easier to deal with, right? Like I know that I have 20% of my team. I know I have a 20% turnover every year. 
So I look at my team and I go, 20% of you won't be here at the end of the summer. Who, who's it going to be? Right. And it's not because I have a cynical view of people. It's just because I think Amber, you taught me this, right. Is the ABR, you know, always be recruiting. It's because you knew that people were going to come and go. Right. And I actually, in my rookie year trusted people too much to be like, Hey, you're working with me for the whole summer. Right. <laughs> you know, like that doesn't happen. You know, people quit. You want to fire people. You don't want to be hung up on the idea that you've invested too much time in one person. So understanding that having a proactive point of view on your problems, I think that can help you out a lot. Uh, and let me know if you have any other questions about that. Cause I know it can be a bit confusing and John, you were going to say something. Well, so I guess the, the question was how, how we ever felt like we wanted to quit. Yeah. And what's something that helped you change it? And for me, it was retroactive versus proactive, but. Yeah. I, I can't relate to the quitting part in, in maybe just cause I've been so naive and so blind. I just, I never really had considered quitting as an option just cause like, I feel like the liability for me at any, like quitting would almost be worse than continuing <laughs> in most cases for me. Cause I, I usually book so much work ahead of time that like quitting would just be so like, like I'd almost be more scared to quit, but, but certainly discouraged, um, you know, on a weekly basis at some point in time, guaranteed I'll, I'll be discouraged at some point. And Well, I always, I, I actually, like, I'm not a tattoo guy, but it's, it's so useful that I almost want to get this tattooed on my arm. And it's that we suffer more in our imagination than we do in reality. And this is so true for the life of an operator, because there's so many situations that we find ourselves in where we think everything's falling apart, you know. I'm completely failing and you just, you just miserable. If you actually do a spot audit of just how everything's actually going, most likely it's not nearly as bad as you thought. And if you take action towards leaving that your stress will, will go away. And I found myself fueling that fire of stress, right. Of, of discouragement right? Would say maybe something didn't go my way. And I think, oh, John, you're just, you know, you're a failure. You're an idiot. Why, you know, you're not performing at the high level, right? And I'll keep adding fuel to that fire. But the moment that I cut off that fuel, the half-life of that emotion is, is quick, okay? We're talking maximum 30 seconds, it's gone once I stop fueling it. So my advice would be to slow down for a second, analyze what's actually going on in your life, take action and thrive because you probably don't want to be a quitter. Love that. Boom. Love that answer. All right, next. By the way, loving these questions, man. Holy. Austin's uh, lagging a bit here. We'll give him. We'll give him a second. I was loving four this. more questions left, and we're trying to keep this under. Austin lives in the woods. So yeah, Austin. How about now? You guys can hear me now. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's better. Okay, yeah. I just, I just, uh, just switched it there. Okay, yeah, I do live in the woods, and I apologize <laughs> for that. 
I live out in Wakefield, Quebec. We're the 1% of Canada that doesn't have high-speed internet yet. So, you know, give us a break. It basically, it's like, like the Appalachian like, of like West Virginia hillbillies <laughs> of like Canada. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, except everybody that lives here uh, is uh, – Wakefield in particular is known as like the tree hugger community. So everybody smokes weed and loves environmentalism. So yeah. um, hey, let's get these questions going. Yeah. Let's mix it up a bit. Next two are going to be a bit away from student work. So um, uh, what are your guys' thoughts? This is from Cole Siemens, a good friend of mine. Uh, What are your guys' thoughts on real estate markets in major cities? Can we anticipate a burst from the pandemic or is seller's egos too high to readjust their pricing? Both of you guys are investing in real estate. I'm not yet. So I'll I'll let you guys answer this. So in the GTA, in Scarborough, last week, there was a house that got 36 offers. 36 people placed a bid on a house in Scarborough. Scarborough is not that nice of an area (laughs) in Toronto. If you're from Scarborough, Scarborough. feel free to DM me. Don't at me. (laughs) So the the reason, so great question. The, The answer is quite simple. Cities always react faster and harder to real estate market changes. So you just gotta be really patient and have a lot, like a, a very deep pocket to go in and play that game. Yeah, you either need a lot of money or a lot of patience. That's that's how you play the city game. And honestly, I, I don't really have either. So um, I choose the outskirts, they're less affected. So the Canadian Mortgage Association predicted that in September, the house prices are gonna drop between nine and 18% in the cities. And so, you know, in the outskirts, it might drop 5% and then bounce back. But in the city, like heart of Toronto, where you have like condos going for like a million bucks, uh, they're, they're probably going to drop, you know, 18%. But in a year or two, they might jump 18%, right? So that's my answer on real estate in the city. John, what do you think? What was the question again? Let me uh, just read it again. What are your thoughts on uh, investing in real so, estate properties uh, what, in the city? Yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on investing in real estate in major cities? Uh, can we anticipate a burst from the pandemic or are sellers' egos too high to readjust their pricing? Yeah, so I, I won't speculate at, at all on what on what the market's going to do. I That's not me. Yeah, um, there's no, no I'm one. Not, I'm, not, I'm not your real estate prediction guy. However, my strategy is to find properties in good locations that are cash flowing that I can feel confident in, in holding for more than a decade. So there you go. Okay, great. And I think if, you know, real estate's been a hot topic, especially for the questions we've been getting even before this AUA. So, you know, if you have any particular questions for John or Amher or anybody, we've had a few real estate investors on the podcast too. So uh, we have a pretty dense network of people that we can connect you with, with any, uh, you know, real estate investments you're looking to make. Uh, next questions from a operator, but with some non-business questions, which are great. So uh, this is from Eric Skydebor and uh, out in the beautiful land of Rockland, Ontario, uh, just outside Ottawa. So I know Eric well, good lad, and he has a really good question here. So uh, could questions for AUA. Could you explore your thoughts on simulation theory? I was also curious to know what all of your plans are in the future. 
Amher has discussed what he wants to pursue now that he has graduated from StudentWorks. What about Austin and John? How does John, how long does John plan to stay with StudentWorks? Is he planning on starting an independent painting business after StudentWorks? What would be the ultimate career goal for all of you, i.e., where do you see yourself in 10 years? And then there's a second one from him, which I'll, uh, well, this is technically two questions in one, the first one. <laughs> he wants to know what we think on simulation theory and then also what John and I want to do. And then there's also a third question. So let's quickly discuss simulation theory. I think yeah. this is a good Hold on. No, no. Let's, yeah. let's <laughs> start no with quickly. the other ones first. Are you kidding me? There's no quickly <laughs> discussing that. So. Okay. Okay. So that's a great question, Eric. Uh, I can totally see myself doing uh, one of three things. Uh, one would be, uh, I, I, I like the idea of running a business. As much as I tell myself that it's stressful, it takes up a lot of my time, I don't think I cannot run a business for the rest of my life. I think it's way too rewarding. I think there's way too much self-development every year for me to just step away from something like that. Whether it's painting or not, I don't know. But I don't know if it's something I can step away from at all. The other option is being able to do that. So that would be like running a business full-time for the rest of my life, probably in the probably in the market of residential renovation, branching up from painting into maybe something a little bit more invasive like renovations uh, and, and ultimately doing that for the foreseeable future and taking the knowledge I've learned on how to grow a business and, and do that. The, the second thing is um, being able to run a painting business with the people that I have in my business that are absolutely legends. You know, like today's also Father's Day when we're recording this. So I wanted to take a moment to wish happy Father's Day to my partner uh, in business, Mark. Uh, Mark is a father of two kids and we run our business together and Mark's just an absolute legend. Uh, you know, goes to work every day and absolutely kicks ass. And, you know, sometimes I forget that he has two kids. That's how much time he puts into this business. So uh, it's really, really cool to see him killing it. And it's those type of people that I'm fortunate enough to have on my team that I have no doubt in my ability to go do the second option, which is using my degree in, in consumer behavior and data to go in data science and go to work at, you know, I'd love to experience what it's like to work um, with using my degree. So my, my dream job at the moment with my degree would be working for a point of sale merchant like Lightspeed or Shopify and being able to audit my thesis is currently on emotional decision-making and advertising and being able to, audit what it's like for people to actually be presented an emotionally or an arousing ad and what that actually means in terms of propensity to sway decision-making mechanisms, right? So that's essentially what my thesis is on. And I would love nothing more than to have a position with a, with a company in e-commerce tech to go and do that. That would be option number two, which I'm currently very excited for because I want to do that. And uh, option number three would just be to um, go back to school and, and do, do a, I, I could possibly want to do a PhD, but that's something that's like a priority C. I don't really think that that's something would, would give me a whole lot at this point. So yeah, that's kind of my three, uh, John, what about you? So let me just read the question quickly again, because my answer was a bit long. So, um, curious to know what we're all doing in the future. Uh, Amr, you've discussed what you're doing graduated from StudentWorks. Maybe you want to touch on that a bit, Amr, what your consulting business should look like in the next 10 years. Uh, John, how long do you plan on staying with StudentWorks? Would you start an independent painting company? I think you've mentioned ProWorks, so why don't you just jump in on that? Yeah, so most likely um, this will be my last year with StudentWorks painting. And then uh, next year I'll transition into uh, ProWorks painting. We'll see. Uh, the ball does not seem to be rolling very quick in uh, – in that lane, but we'll see. Wait, why not? Um, pardon me? Why not? 
Well, it seems like it's, well, it seems like the people that are involved in making that, that transition are less committed than I am in that transition, but we'll end up seeing, right? Ooh, cool, cool. Um, And uh, so, but you know, where, so I'll go into ProWorks next, Um, you know, want to grow that, grow that business uh, up to a certain revenue point that allows me to make, you know, somewhere between 200 and, you know, $250,000 passively. So that would be, um, I hate to use the word automated, but automated. Uh, so, you know, a full GM in place, uh, full sales team and, you know, maybe work, you know, five, 10 hours a week on that business. So something that's, you know, very, you know, relatively passive and, um, you know, build it up to that point. Um, in the meantime, reinvesting the cash flow from my painting business into real estate. So, you know, where, where could I see myself in 10 years? I could see myself waking up, uh, each morning and taking my two daughters to school and, uh, during the day going for bike rides or going for hikes with Trisha, spending time developing our relationship and, uh, you know, doing the occasional real estate transaction, but for the most part, just spending my time trying to raise children and, uh, be as much of a stay-at-home dad as possible. Can't wait to see you as a father, man. That's going to be a case study 10x. I will be conducting that myself personally and be writing a book. I well, I just want to basically perform, you know, like, <laughs> like I see myself performing at a pretty high level right now in student works. Uh, and, and hopefully I can continue performing at a high level in the painting world. But yeah. I really just want to perform at a really high level in the fathership world. I love that. I love that. Um, Amber, do you want to chat a little bit about where you want to be with the consulting business you started with Pat. Yeah. So, you know, the consulting business, I, I think uh, the more I spent time in it, the more I fall in love with it, man. It's just, uh, it's absolutely crazy. Um, I want our consulting course and consulting business be like a, a normal thing in society. It's like, Oh, you're a plumber. Did you get your trade arc certificate yet? And the trade arc certificate is just our course that takes, uh, any any tradesman and get, provides the A to Z in achieving a successful business within his or her trade. And it'll just become like, you know, common lingo where clients are like, hey, are you trade arc certified? It's like, yes. That means the customer can know that that person is taking all the right measures within their business uh, to run an integrous and accountable operation behind the scenes so that they know they're getting the best bang for, for their buck. So that's what I see 10 years down the line. But the, actually, the whole reason I went into business was so that I can make a lot of money. Um, I, I feel like if you're a successful business owner, the amount of that you get compensated is way higher than if you're a you know, successful corporate executive. And so I saw this path as a very good path to generate financial wealth. And I would want to use that wealth to enter real estate. And then that passive income is going to fund my you know, future political career. I don't, I hate politics, hate it, but I love giving back and I love being held accountable by like a community or even a city and a country eventually. And some of my big goals are, you know, uh, prime minister uh, in, the, in the house of commons and um, being a member of parliament, all these things do excite me. Um, I want to, I really want to make a big difference. Now that may completely change depending on, where this business takes me, but I feel like if you really want to make a difference in the world, uh, you can do that by being a really successful business owner who's, you know, would create, you know, millions and millions of dollars 
uh, for his community and his country. Usually billionaires have a lot of influence around the world. Or you can take the other path and going to government. But then again, government can be highly corrupt. It can be very bureaucratic. Uh, a lot of, I, mean, I remember listening to this interview of um, Hillary Clinton with Howard Stern. And she would talk about how like her best friend that she's always been with for like seven years. He, when she ran for president, completely like left her in the dust. So, you know, those are the two paths. I do know that in my life, knowing how gifted I am to have two arms, two legs, good eyesight, a good, you know, good brain, good family, good resources. I would feel disappointed if I did not just go all out and, and really, you know, just create a legacy um, for my last name, for my family and, and give back as much as possible before I start rotting in the earth. I mean, we, we all end up at the same six foot, you know, six foot deep hole. So might as, as well try Stoics would say Alexander the great and his mule driver both share the same grave. Exactly, man. Wow. Yeah. Love that quote. Yeah. Um, that's great. Those, those are my big visions there. So I let's, really uh, I love that Amber. Thanks for sharing that. I think a lot of people have wondered that because we've talked about kind of your consulting business a lot and providing that insight as to why is, is great. Um, do we want to get into simulation theory a bit? Not really. No, that's like a, honestly, Eric, that's a great question. And that's a whole podcast. So it's a whole yeah. podcast, but I also, I don't know if I'm like, I'm not a guy. Like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know about you, Amber, but I'm not like, I'm not the guy for that. I'm not, ver- I'm not versed I enough am. to even have, a- I am, <laughs> Austin is. I am, <laughs> I've, I've actually sparked the simulation theory debate with too many people so that I'm that guy like that. That's nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm, okay. that, I'm that guy. What's so. maybe dedicate a mini podcast. To that yeah. Like let's, let's talk, like I'm going to write it down in our notes to come. I might have to research it beforehand. Do a little. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's get more educated on this as a group and then we can definitely talk about it. Cause I know that both of you with your philosophical backgrounds would actually love this debate. Or so sorry, this is a, this is a, a very spur of the moment thing, but Trisha just came in here and dropped a piece of paper on my table and with a question. I just want to let everyone know the type of shit that I have to put up with. <laughs> she took the house rules down. I made house rules and she took them down. She doesn't, she doesn't agree with them. There's only one house rule and it's must not wear clothes while eating or making dinner except men. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm confused. That's the rule. I, the nerve. I, had, the nerve. I had this up on my wall. The nerve. That's terrible. Wait, so that's your rule? <laughs> that all women must trot naked? It was more of a joke, but... Oh, but, yeah. No. Like you have guests coming over to me, so he comes in here and just throws it on the table. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you had guests. Okay, you were missing that part. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's hilarious. She's not okay with these rules. Yeah. Um, okay, so the second question that Eric... Or the last question that Eric had, I should say, is just... Um, uh, another one, uh, what are your thoughts on globalization? Seeing as you're all capitalists, I would love to see you explore the pros and cons of globalization and overseas labor. I know it can be a sensitive conversation, but curious what your thoughts are on the idea of a free market. Uh, this could also transition into whether free market capitalism is an ideal structure for society slash what makes, uh, what makes, what changes you would make if you ran the world. Eric, dude, these questions are uh, the Ritz. Podcasts think- each. I think, um, yeah, this is amazing though. 
Uh, Eric, I will, I will make you a promise. Okay. These, these, these questions are going into, uh, our notes to cover in, in, in upcoming podcasts because dude, those questions are heavily loaded and we want to make sure we give them enough time. Uh, loaded information, not like loaded yeah. fallaciously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eric globalization question. Okay. It's in the notes. You heard the keyboard, so you're good. Um, okay. So we're moving on to Jacob Isles. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. So Jacob ran the marathon with us. He was one of the guys that ran the full, didn't he? Yeah. Jacob's a nice. savage. Yeah, Jacob, Jacob, by the way, is, is also slowly, but surely climbing that leaderboard. He's going to be one of the top people in the West. Well, there you go, man. So let's get a question from Jacob in here. So, um, for AUA next week, my question is how you manage burnout in the midst of a busy summer. Last year, I started to burn out quite a bit in August, and I feel as though I'm going much harder this year, and I'm, I'm getting closer to burnout each day, i.e. feeling tired constantly, having been losing my morning routine two, three times per week, etc. I just want to get your feedback on how you guys manage such things and how you all ran very impressive business, and as you have all ran very impressive businesses, and my concern is how I can better handle it in order to take my business and life to the next level in future years. Side note, John's story about his client not liking the color hit home pretty hard with me. Uh, I had almost uh, the exact same problem last Friday where we had to redo the whole house. Uh, hearing his perspective on how he dealt with that mentally, along with Austin and Amher's additional input really helped me face my mental problems last week. Listening to every listening every Monday morning really helps me jumpstart my week with a powerful mindset. Unreal episode. So thanks for your kind words, Jacob. That's great. Glad to hear we were able wow, to Wow, man. Thank you so much. Wow, that's awesome. Thank yeah. you. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think that this is an awesome question. I'm going to take this first guys. I'll be quick. Um, burnout, very real for me. Uh, I wish I could get Miranda, my girlfriend on the podcast here for a few minutes so she can, uh, rant about that because it ultimately became something that impacted her life too. Cause my body pretty much just shut down in September last year. I, I talked about this a few times, but I like, uh, I, I essentially gave myself burnout last year to the, to the degree that uh, I gave myself an autoimmune disorder called uh, angioedema. So it's essentially a, a skin disorder that uh, because I had so much uh, like essentially lack of sleep and working a lot, uh, essentially my homeostatic rhythm uh, is now thrown off because of lower sleep at a younger age. So my immune system can no longer differ between or differ between high cortisol response and an allergic reaction. So essentially I, my body thinks that if it has prolonged stress response, it's, it's allergic to, to itself. So I become very, I, I swell up like literally like a balloon in my face and in my hands and in my feet. So like it, it looks almost to the point where my, like it looks like a blowfish. So <laughs> this is, there's been a post, a photo posted like this on my personal Instagram page as a joke, comparing myself to the guy from monsters Inc with the big lips. Anyway, um, this is really hard for me to, it won't, sorry, it's not really hard for me to talk about anymore. It was really hard for me to talk about because I had just come off the most successful year my business had ever incurred. I was kind of ignoring all these symptoms and ignoring all of these, you know, signs of tiredness and just working through it. And then, you know, ultimately my, my health caught up to me. So, uh, one thing that really helped me this year, Jacob is, um, high, high degree of routine. And I can see here that you said that routine mm -hmm. is something you struggle with. Every morning I'm up at six. It doesn't matter. I'm even up at six on Saturdays. Sundays are the one day I let myself sleep in a bit. Uh, but, you know, six days a week, I'm up at 6 a.m., cold shower right away. I started this in March and I've been doing it since. It's really, really helpful. 
Um, I think that, or not even earlier than March, I think it was in February this year. The, the thing that the morning routine of every day has done with me is like, if I'm up at six every day, I'm in bed by 10, 1030 at the very latest. And then that way I'm, I'm, you know, my body's just used to that rhythm, right? Because I think the thing is, is when you get up, you know, Saturday, you're up at 10 a.m. Monday, you're up at 5 a.m. Tuesday, you're up at 9 a.m. Wednesday, you're up at 5 a.m. It just doesn't, it's your body's kind of wondering what the hell you're doing to itself. Also, um, you know, it ultimately stemmed Jacob too from like my inability to delegate to people that I knew could do much better in my business. I ended up doing a lot of things and Amher, this is the, this is probably my, what I got most out of my relationship with John and Amher last year is they both did significantly more than me, even though we were all very successful. I was the, the, I came in, well, I was third out of three. Right. So, um, and I actually think I had, um, I'm not, not to step on you guys. I actually think I had a much more better team in place to go do more revenue than you guys. I just didn't give them the responsibility that they needed. So, you know, Amber, I, I met your two right-hand guys last year, right? Patrick and Ben, those guys were legends, right? And then I remember meeting them and I remember looking forward to meeting them because you had done so much more than me. And I was just like, oh, I can't wait for Alec and Mark to learn from them. And I met them and I was like, dude, these guys are really good. But I actually think Mark and Alec are a lot better in some other regards. Like Mark and Alec were doing so much better and doing so like doing not much better, but like they were more equal than they were different. And I remember coming out of that conversation and being like, man, like I actually haven't given what my guys need to succeed in terms of management staff. Right. So, uh, I've been doing a lot of the work myself because I was telling myself a story. Hey, I need to do this. I can't delegate this. This is something I need to do. And ultimately that caught up to me and I ended up working way too much. So Jacob, ask yourself if, especially cause you're a vet, if the things that you're taking on yourself that are causing you to feel overworked, are those delegatable? You know, don't you have the people at this point that you can have the conversation with giving them the additional responsibility for more money, right? And I know that at this point, you know that you paying somebody an extra couple dollars an hour or even a couple extra percentage points of commission is totally, totally, totally worth your money, you know? Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll just stop on that. And Jacob, I think, you know, burnout's really close to home for me. So totally reach out to me personally if, if you want more information on that answer. Uh, yeah, let's go to you, John. Do you ever experienced uh, that or, or did at one point? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I used to think that burnout was a thing. I think now I think it's more of an illusion, like in the sense that it's actually counterproductive to kind of just keep feeling that fire, right? Of, of this whole, I'm burnt out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like um, motion. Like a- what were you going to say, Amber? It's like an affirmation. It's like you make it real the more you say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not really a thing. Like burnout like doesn't like like I always I always kind of like not that I'm like religious, but I always think like do you think Noah like Noah's ark got burned out? Like did Jesus get burnt out? Like I, like did these guys get burnt out? Like I don't know. To me, it's you just need to take the time to actually unwind at the end of the day. Make sure you're doing the things that you're um, that you were doing originally to even build a good mindset. Burnout's not it's not accidental. You don't just it's not like it's just like it's not like you just work you work you work. Everyone just faces burnout. Obviously, some of us don't. Like me, I just broke the all time student works record as far as dollars go, and I'm as fresh as I've ever been. Why? Because I'm doing the same things that I was doing in January, February, March, April, May, June onwards. I'm going to do the same things in July. I'm going to do the same things in September. I'm going to keep doing this for 52 years, hopefully. 
right? All the things that make me peaceful, right? It's, it, and it goes back to the routine. It's all the things like waking up at a reasonable time. It's not even the fact you need to wake up early, okay? I just wake up early enough that I can do what I want to do without anyone else being awake that's important to my life. Like I like to have an hour before everything else, okay? You, you know, have some sort of consistent morning routine as far as what you're going to eat, what you're going to do, whether it's reading, whether it's exercising, whatever it's going to be. Have a good start to your day. Make sure you're starting off your day. If you wake up and the first thing you're doing is you're waking up from a cold sweat, stressed, and you have like 45 things to do, and you take zero time for yourself, no shit you're burnt out, right? And then if all day you're just reacting to everything going on, you're not doing anything proactively, but rather, what was the, uh, the term you were using, Austin? Retroactively, Retro yeah. Yeah, if you're, if you're just responding to everything, you're just, the moment you wake up to the moment you sleep, you're just caught in a whirlwind. Yeah, you might be end up, you might get That's a it. That's it. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I honestly just wanted to add that, like, you know, it sounds like John's answer was almost uh, in, in contradiction to mine. I actually agree with everything John just said. I think that I don't label what I went through as much as a burnout as I do, you know, just uh, habits and time management that reflected giving myself something health wise that, you know, I, I ultimately did to myself. Labeling it as burnout is something that a doctor said to me and I actually brought this up as I said, you know, I actually was a bit, uh, when this health problem presented itself with my, with me, I think this was actually episode one. It was cause it was, uh, the episode one was health scares and treating yourself. And this was when Amara just rented his Lamborghini and I just had swollen up like a balloon. So, um, this was quite funny because, um, well, pretty much it was just that I was doing all the things that John just listed off. Wasn't unwinding at the end of the day, caught in a whirlwind some, some days and ultimately just being around too much and not setting up the structure for scale. So anyway, um, yeah, Amber, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, not, I not going to repeat it. I think okay. you and John have done an excellent job to explain it. And yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for your that's, question. That, that's great advice. There's just one thing I want to add at the end here. Okay. If your car breaks down, Sure, some sort of mechanical failure could have happened, but most likely it's deferred maintenance. Okay. Yeah. If you're if you're doing your oil changes when you need to do your oil changes, you know, every six thousand, eight thousand kilometers or whatever it is. Okay. I just have a little sticker at the top of my car that tells me when to go. Um, and you're putting good gas in. You know, you're getting regular checkups. You're replacing your brake pads. You're doing all this proper maintenance. Guess what? Your vehicle kind of tends to last a long time, right? If you are constantly running out of gas not doing your oil changes, you know, rat bagging it around corners, you might run into a few more issues and your body's no different. Rat okay? bagging, yeah. If, if, you, if you cease to do all the good habits that made you, you know, have peace in your life, yeah. what do you expect, yeah. right? So slow down uh, and just reset. Oh, Love that. That's great. I know we got 10 minutes here. So Austin, so, what do you got for us? Last question, guys. Last question. I saved this one for last because I absolutely love it. It's short, sweet, simple, and powerful because I think this will, you know, drive home. Our answers will drive Who's home. Who's it from? Forever. Let's give them a shout out. It's from Jessica Franzman. Uh, she's an operator with Student Works East. Great. Uh, and, you know, this question's simple, but I think it can speak to everybody. So the question is, hey, my question for you guys is, if you could all say one thing to yourselves in your first year of running your business with Student Works, what would it be? And I think that this can be rephrased as to anybody and, and I guess us, but rephrased in the sense that it could say, hey, 
what would be the one thing you tell yourself as a first time business owner? Set a bigger goal. What would it be? What would it be and why? So we all have to go through here to finish off the AUA. We're all going to answer and speak to ourselves, right? So Amber, you're talking to Amber in 2018. Uh, I'm talking to Austin in 2018. And John, you're talking to John in like 1992 or whenever you started operating. <laughs> you like that? You don't like that joke? <laughs> I was born in 96. So I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So when did you start? 2013, 2014, 2015. Okay. 2015. Okay. So let's all, Amber, do you want to start? You look yeah, yeah, easily. Okay, man. I would okay, look myself in the eye and be like, listen. Listen to me very carefully. <laughs> this goal you have is not going to push you to your limits. You should have a bigger goal and you should hire twice as many people and canvas twice as hard, get coaching twice as much and just go all out because you're going to make more than twice the money. And that will exponentially run Uh like the hockey stick growth that would happen from that like beginning Can you point. Just describe hockey stick growth for, for people. So it's just like exponential growth. If you look at any graph that's like has exponential growth, it's like straight line, straight line, straight line, straight line. Whoop, and then it just curves all the way up mm-hmm. as if like all of a sudden. And those initial conditions that you set usually will dictate how, how high of exponential growth you have. So I would just be twice as hard on myself to say, look, set a goal twice as big, go twice as hard, just two X everything. I know, you know, Grant Cardone has 10 X, but starts just two X everything for now. And, uh, I think that would have forced me to drop all bad habits way faster. It would have forced me to change up my routine way quicker, forced me to, to drop the video games twice as fast. Cause in my first year I was still partying, playing video games, eating chips, and just like running a normal life. And so if I had a goal at 500K as a rookie, I think that would have made me just a totally different man. Where if I was sitting today, I would have probably ran a million dollar business instead of 500. And and, 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 and who knows how many real estate properties I would have invested in this year. So this year I'm going to make one investment, right? But maybe in that alternate universe, I'm investing in three, right? Mm -hmm. And and then it just kind of keeps going and going and going. I think it's great, John, the episode you did with Chris Thompson on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast, where you said the analogy of the ghost car that you're following. I love that, where you can always see where you were doing on the last lap of Mario Kart, right? Like when you're doing the, when you, you're playing Mario Kart, there's always that ghost car that you can see your last lap's time. So it never ends because when you start a new lap, that ghost car refreshes. So yeah, I think it's great. Kind of speaks to Amber's analogy there a bit because, you know, you want to make sure that you're setting yourself up to grow each year and you had to set a standard of maybe a little bit higher the first time, right? The first lap around you, you didn't, you didn't hold down the gas pedal as much as you could have maybe. Right. Uh, I'm going to take this question next. And then John, I think you should wrap us up. Um, the one thing I think I'd say to myself in 2018, uh, 2018 was, was fun. Uh, it was an interesting year for myself. I uh, had already worked for another business owner in the same market for two years. So I'd already had a lot of experience with what it looks like to be a part of a painting business. And, um, and, and I thought I had all the answers because of that. And so off the, off the bat, I was pretty uncoachable. 
I was pretty uh, stubborn. I was pretty, um, you know, well, I know this from my experience, so I'm going to do it that way type of thing. And my relationship with Pat, my district manager and coach at the beginning wasn't as good as it could have been because of that behavior. And I can totally see the impact that that had on me uh, because it took me a very long time to get good at sales. It took me much longer than the average operator to get good at sales because I was convinced that in order, you know, essentially what it meant to be a good salesman was synonymous with being a pushy prick, right? That's what I thought a good salesman was is people that, you know, go in there get the job, sell on the spot. And they're just like, you know, the guy that can work his magic with words. And my, you know, you know, much more utilitarian way of selling was, you know, I'm, I'm the good guy. I'm the nice guy. I don't push people. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't ask them too many questions. I don't make them feel pressured. And all of those things that I did, and honestly, there are a lot of them I realized were complete BS when I did Landmark for the first time, which we've spoken about many times on this podcast. You know, I had a really good conversation with Pat after Landmark that I did after my rookie year. And it was just around the lines of, you know, all of these things I told myself for a story and you were effectively right in coaching me. And so there's that, that I wish I kind of told myself is, Hey, you know what? Every time you come into a new experience, doesn't matter if you've had experience in another role or not, right? Like it doesn't matter if, you know, you work at an office space right now and you currently are a junior accountant and then you're promoted to uh, managing a team of accountants, restart from scratch, right? Like do not think that your experience as a junior accountant will even give you a glimpse at what your life will be as an accountant manager, you know, like it's, it's just that fallacy I had for myself. So don't try not to have like these carryover effects where you think that an experience from one year will, will, will really just give you the answers for the next year. And I think that a lot of people that has been running businesses multi-year, it doesn't matter if you're with student works or not, you know, you think that, Oh, I experienced that this year. It won't happen again. Well, it only won't happen again. If you don't, it will, if you challenge yourself to change your expectations, you know? So there's that. And then there's also the idea that I had a really hard time uh, differentiating between, you know, the people I hired, I thought that there was like this kind of fundamental misunderstanding. The people I hired, I really cared about because to me, it was so cool of them and so nice of them. And so it made me feel so different to have them invest in working for me. It was really moving and it sounds really strange maybe, but like the people that signed a document that said they work for Austin Trudeau painting. I don't know whether it was like an ego thing or a narcissistic thing, but it was just like, Oh my God, like this person's actually saying, Hey, I'm going to work for you all year. I was like, Holy shit. Like that's crazy. You know? And I had, I had six of those people go, yeah, I'm going to work for you. And that was like, so moving to me, you know, like I was so, I was like, Oh my God, I have such a big responsibility. And, uh, and, and so what that led me to do was once I had six people hired, <laughs> I was done recruiting. I was done. I had the people, they committed to me. They were the best, you know? And I was like, you know, what, what could ever go wrong? They gave me their word. Well, lo and behold, I mean, people are people and, and people end up leaving. And, uh, I had one person in particular that was like one of my best painters that wanted to leave and ended up being like, you know, I remember, I remember having this conversation with him, like, but you committed to working with me for the whole year. And they were like, yeah, but like, I, I, I'm not going to. <laughs> and it was just like a fun, it was just like a fundamental, oh. it was just like, a, and, and I remember just being like so confused and angry, like, oh, this is so unfair. And like, it sounds so funny even talking about it this way now, because I have such a completely different outlook on this. Um, 
but just being able to tell myself like, Hey, the people that you have in your business and the people that you do work for your clients, right? They all work for Austin Trudeau painting. They don't work for Austin Trudeau, right? So they might like you. They don't like your business is an entity, you know, and don't try to mix your personal emotions with that, with that entity, you know, and, and like people might be invested in working for you, but don't let that influence the way you think of them as people. Your entity should go, thank you for your time and with my business. Here's your, you know, and, and incentive programs for them to make sure they feel really good when working with you. But ultimately being able to understand that you need to have plan A, B, C, D, E, and F, you know, like don't stop at plan A if plan A is working. And, and that might sound a little bit simplistic, but that was really something I wish I could just tell myself to change. So John, bring us home. Yeah, I would just remind myself that, that, that I suffer more in my imagination than I do in reality. Was your rookie or something that would be very, like it was, was it something you found to be extremely difficult? Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, I'm sure that you guys can relate and I'm sure that a lot of people that are listening to this podcast can relate, you know, extremely hard on myself, you know, um, you know, even in moments of great success, I can still find, you know, I mean, the ghost car analogy really speaks volumes, right? Um, literally, no matter how much I achieve, I always know that I could have ran faster. I always could have turned the treadmill up higher. And I found myself at multiple points over the course of the last five years, just simply suffering because I wouldn't allow myself to just live more in the moment. It, it was always either in the past, um, you know, thinking about how much of a victim I could be, you know, how hard I had it, or thinking about the future and thinking about um, how much more I could achieve if I, if I went a little bit faster now. And so I would just remind myself that, you know, you are suffering more in your imagination than you are in reality. In reality, you actually are on the right path. And I would just remind myself that, you know, where you're going is good. Um, but I would be very hesitant to let them in on any of the details of, of, you know, how far I've come because I wouldn't want myself to become complacent. I wouldn't want them to feel entitled to the success that I've already achieved now. So I would hesitate very, very much so with that. Um, but yeah, suffer more in our imagination than reality. I love that. Well, this was really good guys. I think we should do this maybe on like a quarterly basis, uh, four times a year. I think, I think this is good. I think you can kind of get a taste of every season then for at least what our market, uh, participants are in, you know? Yeah. Whenever you get a question, just send it to the account. Like we see it. Yeah. And even if we don't answer it, we'll bank it for the next AUA. Exactly. We'll bank it even for an episode where we got like, you know, 10 minutes, we'll just pop your question out and give you a shout out. And where, where the topic that you're answering naturally comes up in conversation, we can also reference it too, which is helpful. So, um, no, this was great guys. And thank you to the listeners that submitted questions. It was really nice to see that, uh, you know, a, you guys have gotten a lot out of the podcast so far and, and B that you're participating at the level of submitting questions. It's really fun to have listeners that are so, so dynamic and so, um, so fun to work with. So, uh, I just wanted to show before we go, just wanted to show the guys one thing and we're going to release a post about this later, I think, but, uh, have a look at this guys. Wow. 
So uh, this Huge week we milestone. hit. Yeah, so this week we uh, reached over ten thousand total downloads. So um, you know, in the world of podcasting, that's uh, not you know the biggest podcast at all. Uh, but I think that you know over ten over forty five episodes, we got ten thousand, just over ten thousand downloads, which is essentially well, it's pretty much two hundred and twenty three downloads per episode so like a lecture hall full of people yeah and um you know we just wanted to say thank you i think that at the end of the day we're almost a year into this thing we're 10 months in that's insane and uh yeah like you know it's, we've been doing this for 10 months guys I, to me it feels like we've been doing this for maybe four months you know like i, I don't know yeah but it just, i know <laughs> it, it feels like this has gone on for so long already and it's so fun and, and every week i look forward to sitting down on sunday nights with john and ammer and, and oh, ultimately talking uh, about anything that comes up and and we've had a lot of people ask us you know like how do you guys get the topics you talk about and it's weird how we don't schedule anything like we just talk about what comes up naturally from the first couple minutes of the podcast that just deter us down this road of whatever we talk about and then we just name the podcast after we stop recording so i think that we just wanted to say thank you and i personally get a lot out of just doing this and in even uh as a business owner and even as a human being in the relationships that i have it's just the fact that i get to come on here and talk every week for an hour or two with these guys about what we talk about helps me personally and i really you know it's really moving to hear that it helps some of you guys too and i just i absolutely love it and i plan on doing this for as long as i possibly can until my until yeah, what's, my what's joe rogan down. at 1500 he's at 1500 episodes and i think he averages uh over a million downloads per episode so no but how many does, does he release one once a week was that how he did it uh no he had just he releases episodes at random sometimes he takes like a two-week break so what's uh 1500 yeah oh 15 billion downloads <laughs> Well, boys, we got a little bit of work to do. <laughs> We're coming for you, Joe Rogan. Okay, good stuff, guys. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks for the questions, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, see you guys. Hey, listeners, thanks so much for tuning in this week. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at the Weekly Call Pod or through email at theweeklycallpod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material. And just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.